Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. Good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? Woo! Great day to worship, right? I'm Alicia Holmstrom. I'm the administrative assistant here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church, and it is my joy to honor you here this morning. And if you're worshiping from home, hello to you as well online. Um, if you're new to us this morning, please take a moment to scan the barcode on the um, pamphlet behind you in the seat because fill it out. We'd love to get to know you better. With that, let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together and worship you this Sunday morning. Lord, it is with so much joy that we celebrate you this Christmas season. Lord, for many, this holiday season is messy. There's grief, there's sadness, and heartache. But God, you are the reason we celebrate. You sent your Son, the Messiah, to take away the sins of the world. And he came to bring hope. He came with intention, he came with love, he came with grace, and he came with truth to meet us right where we're at today. So Lord, in our mess, may we long for you, Lord. May we find joy in all circumstances for your will for our lives. And most of all, Lord, may we celebrate you with our heavenly eternal joy to live out your kingdom work for us here on earth. Amen. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. <coughs> Have you ever seen someone having like a really bad day and you did something really nice for them? Have you guys ever done that? And did it make your heart like super happy and give you lots of joy to see them like smile or help their day go better? Any of you ever helped your mom or your dad with something? And so this week, we, well, the first week we lit the candle of hope, and then we lit the candle of peace, and this week we are lighting the candle of joy. So Galatians 5, through 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and if you know them, you can say it with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Great job, you guys. We sang the song, Joy to the World, and I'm sure you guys have heard that before. Um, sometimes people confuse joy with happiness. You see, happiness is based on your circumstances. So like maybe you won a game, maybe you got a good grade on a test, maybe you opened a present that you were like super excited about? Has that ever happened? You felt really happy, right? Um, but joy is found deep inside your heart. So just like the song, you ever heard, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Have you ever heard that song? It's there to stay, right? Yeah. And joy only comes from one thing, and that is God. So we learned that the a fruit of the Spirit is joy, which means that the source of joy is God, and the Holy Spirit helps us see that joy, practice it, and give it away, just like when you do something to help someone and it makes you feel joyful. 
And he helps us and gives us joy in all circumstances, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And the Holy Spirit also helps us to see those people that maybe don't have that joy, and, and it helps us so we can share that joy and the joy of God with them. And there's this really cool holiday coming up pretty soon. That is the perfect time to do that. Does anybody know? Christmas, yes. Um, it's a perfect time to share God's story of faithfulness and do simple things and acts of kindness to help bring joy to others. So I'll encourage you to do that over the next couple weeks, okay? So we are going to light the candle, and I'm going to need one of you to help me. Would you like to help me, Jacob? First, we'll... Light the first two candles, and then we will light the candle of joy. And then we will sing the candle song, and then I'll pray, and then you'll get a treat. Awesome. Amen. Well, good morning. If I have not met you yet, uh, my name is Bruce Drugsma. I am the senior pastor here at Watertown Evangelical Free Church. If you are new and have not met me yet, I would love to meet you sometime, get to know you. Um, Alicia already shared about the QR code on the bookmarks. Would love to, to get to know you that way. But we are excited you're here. Uh, we're excited. I know there's probably quite a few joining us online this morning. If your family is anything like my family, there's been a bug going around or maybe seven or eight different bugs going around and traveling through. And uh, we've had a couple of days this week where people have been staying home. Uh, with illness. And uh, so if you're in one of those spots or maybe you're just checking us out online, thank you. Thank you for being here and thank you for joining us and thank you for those of you in the room. And uh, we're coming into Christmas. We're, we're slowly approaching. Uh, last week I made a confession that our Advent count is off. Um, and since then I've had a couple other pastors tell me they are doing the same thing. So I should have just said it was strategic um, and gone and pointed to all the other churches that are doing it wrong as well. Um, but, but here we are. We're celebrating Christmas. We're moving toward the birth of our Savior. And it's a time of joy. And we're going to talk about joy this morning. And for some of us, as we journey towards Christmas, that comes with these opportunities to travel, right? Maybe we go to grandma's house. Maybe we go to, back to mom and dad's house. Maybe uh, we go to that aunt and uncle that we see once a year uh, at the holidays. But oftentimes when we travel and we get together with family, the stories start to come out, right? We've all been there. Or, uh, I'm assuming we've all experienced something like that. You're sitting around the kitchen table and the stories start coming about, uh, uh, out about, you remember when dad, do you remember that time Remember that year when, when uh, you know, the eggnog spilled all over the carpet or, or whatever, and the stories come, and we start to laugh, and, the, and those should be moments of joy. And maybe, maybe in those moments, uh, the old photo albums come out. Or maybe you start scrolling back into your Facebook memories, and way, way, way back, and those pictures start to pop up. And for some of you, maybe this is that moment where you are super grateful that your childhood uh, is not memorialized forever online, right? You're, you're happy that maybe some of those pictures of you are safely sequestered in grandma's photo album and you just hope nobody goes and looks at those pictures again. Because if I'm honest, some of us came from some strange places 
We have maybe some pictures in our past that we don't necessarily want brought out that those photos of themselves or those stories about ourselves are safely in the past. And I have a couple here that are gonna show up that, you know, maybe, maybe should have stayed in, in the past, right? We have those photos that if we go really far back into our history, we really regret maybe some of the decisions that we've made. Yeah, Merv knew me for two of those in my defense. She didn't know the mohawk, the spikes, but she did know me for the other two. Um, Hopefully those are moments of joy, digging back into the past. Obviously, I'm I'm not embarrassed by these. Maybe I should be, but I'm not. But for others of us, those trips down memory lane maybe aren't as positive and as joyful. Uh, we, we show up at home and instead of you know, laughing about the things we used to do and, and the way we used to decorate our hair, uh, we are the one who always made the mistakes. Or we're back to being the little kid who gets treated uh, in a way that we think uh, we shouldn't be treated anymore. And the holidays, instead of being a time of joy, become a time of pain and a time of a time of hurt. You know, maybe we're confronted by our past mistakes. Maybe we have that unresolved issue or conflict with that family member. And isn't it great to know that in those moments we're not alone? That our dysfunctional family or our broken past. We're not the only ones. There's a lot of people this holiday season who are gonna be confronting some of those times in their past and those are not joyful moments. And so the question is, how do we find joy even in those times? And the first Christmas was a Christmas of travel back to family roots. But in a situation that was less than joyful and less than ideal for Mary and Joseph. And so we're gonna read this morning our first passage from Luke chapter two. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn there. We are going to be jumping all over in the Bible today, um, but we're going to start here in Luke chapter 2, the first five verses. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. Now this is, this is the start of the Christmas story that often we read. And we read it with this sense of nostalgia and, and maybe even a little bit with rose-colored glasses. And, and we can picture ourselves on the journey with Mary and Joseph, right? But as we've been looking at this series now, not yet, we've done a lot of looking back into the Old Testament. We're gonna do the same this morning, but we're gonna do it with the context of this original Christmas story because this isn't a holiday for Mary and Joseph yet. It's not a holiday for anybody. Mary and Joseph aren't traveling back to Bethlehem uh, to go stay with aunt and uncle, to have a holiday feast, to open presents under a tree. They're not traveling back with the promise of a family reunion. No, remember where they are. They've been forced to travel at the whim of a tyrant. Caesar is, is doing an accounting, uh, not because people want to go home for the holidays, but 
because he's doing an audit to make sure that everybody's being taxed fully. They're, they're traveling across the country to a town that they've likely never visited, even though it's their family roots, to a town that they likely know few, if any, people because of an audit, because their taxes might go up. Where they are headed is most likely to them a largely unknown community. While it is their historic hometown, it's likely that they knew very few people. And so this is a painful journey. And they carry the shame of a premarital pregnancy. Now, Mary and Joseph maybe don't feel shame about that, but they're certainly experiencing judgment and criticism. And, and now they're traveling uh, at a time when Mary is very, very pregnant. And not traveling like we travel. So this does not seem like a good recipe for joy. And so as we look this morning at this story, this story of chaos and uncertainty, let's also look for the stories of God at work in unlikely places. And so our first lesson from our story this morning is that wherever God calls us, it may not be where we want to be. Where God calls us may not be where we want to be because I think we all have in our mind these images of where we want to be. We want the nice home. We want the good college. We want the friends. We want the family. We want these things in our head. And sometimes God calls us to a place that is different than where we want to be. There were a lot of well-known places in Israel at the time of Jesus' birth. Flashier places places that would have been a lot more fun to visit. And this morning we are gonna look at Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus. And let's consider for a moment why Bethlehem? Why of all the places for the Messiah to be born, why Bethlehem, right? Why, why there? Well, as we know from the story from the Old Testament, it's the home place of David. In 1 Samuel 16, verse one, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. So at this time in Israel's history, when David is being anointed by Samuel, Bethlehem, this is essentially the first time it shows up. That's mentioned a couple other times as they conquer the land and as a couple of people settle there. But this is the first time it's really mentioned as part of the story. It's a, it's a no-place town. And, and Samuel goes there to anoint uh, the smallest boy in the family, David. The, the one that, that the whole family, remember, if you, if you know the story, Samuel shows up and says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to anoint somebody and bring out your sons. And he brings out, Jesse brings out all of his sons. And they're strapping young men. And Samuel goes through and the Lord, through Samuel, says, no, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. All the way to the end and goes, where's the other one? And, and Jesse goes, well, there's David, the youngest. He's out with the sheep. He goes, we're not moving until he gets here. And that's who God anoints. So we have the smallest boy in this backwater town. And that's where Bethlehem shows up. And ultimately, that's why Mary and Joseph have to go back to Bethlehem. Because they come from David's family. And as soon as David leaves Bethlehem, we don't really hear much about it again. It goes back to being a small town, a small town with very little to draw your attention to it. So Joseph is required to return because of Caesar's degree for taxation purposes. 
So Mary and Joseph must travel there. And they probably did not want to make that trip. And Joseph, in making this trip, and, and I'm going to kind of extrapolate a little bit here, but it's stuff we have some evidence for in Scripture, but it's likely that Joseph spent his last few dollars to get them to Bethlehem. This decree by this tyrant makes him spend most, if not all, of his money to get them there. How do we know that? Well, we know that because um, by the time uh, the Magi show up to honor the baby, they're still there. They're still there because most likely when they showed up, uh, they couldn't afford to get home, and so Joseph just found work where he was at. And they stayed there for a while because we know that when Herod finds out that the baby had been born, he orders the death of all the children two years and under. So they stayed there for a little while until they were forced to leave again probably hadn't made a lot of money. The other thing we have to know that they didn't have much money is eight days after Jesus is born, they go to Jerusalem to offer the sacrifices and the Bible tells us they offer the sacrifice of poor people. So again, we're kind of extrapolating, but what we do know is that this was not a place they wanted to be and it wasn't a flashy place and they were poor. And they ended up in a place that probably they didn't want to be. And that's really our focus this morning. It's a reminder that you may not be where you want to be. Maybe you pictured yourself in a nicer home. Maybe you pictured yourself uh, in a better school. Maybe you pictured yourself with a better job. Maybe you pictured yourself in an entirely different situation. But remember that despite the backwater feel of Bethlehem, it is exactly where God had planned them to be. And I don't think Mary and Joseph were necessarily thinking of that as they journeyed there, but it was precisely where they were supposed to be because we read in Micah 5.2, and this is the verse that is quoted to Herod when he says, where is this king to be born? Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from old from ancient times. So for those of them that were alive at the time of Christ's birth, obviously they knew about this passage because the wise men, when they come to Herod, he brings in his experts and they go, oh, Bethlehem. So there's some knowledge that it's there, but I don't know that people were constantly thinking, you know, Bethlehem is gonna be the place where the next guy comes from. They definitely connected it to David, but maybe not to the community. But this is not the first time God has provided out of Bethlehem. We see it again in the book of Ruth where Ruth, the future grandmother or great-grandmother of King David, she comes to Bethlehem and finds her future. And so when the Magi are looking for the Messiah, the king of the Jews, they are directed to search in Bethlehem. So Mary and Joseph find themselves in this place where God has put them, and they stand there, and they wait for a time, waiting to see what God will do. Probably not where they wanted to be, not a glamorous place, not a popular place, probably not even a very familiar place, but it is the place that God had called them to be. And they wait, and I would argue they wait with joy. And we heard already about how Mary 
treasured these things in her heart, ponders what they say when the shepherds come. And when they present baby Jesus at the temple in Luke 32, 33, it tells us that the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about them. See, I think Mary and Joseph, instead of looking around with envy at those around them, they looked to see what God was doing in that place. They waited with a level of joy and expectation that we might not be where we want to be, but I'm gonna choose joy in this moment because God is doing something. Something that I maybe don't understand. And I think we are faced with the same thing when we find ourselves in a place that maybe we don't want to be. We have a choice. We have a choice to look around at those around us and see the better car, the better job, the better school, the better friends, the the better family, and go, God, I, I want that. I want to be in a better spot. And we can sit there and let that envy and that jealousy and that feeling of entitlement draw us down and down, or we can choose joy. We can choose joy and we can look at it and say, God, I don't know why you put me in this place. I don't know why you put me in a job where I I don't get along with my coworkers. I don't know why you put me in, in a home that is constantly needing maintenance and repairs. I don't know why you put me at a school where I, I don't feel like anybody gets me, but God, I'm gonna wait here and I'm gonna choose joy. I'm gonna choose joy because as Alicia said in the kids' message, joy is different than happiness. And I can choose it. I can choose joy. And I can trust God to provide when I stand where God sends me. Just like Mary and Joseph trusted that the Lord would provide when they found themselves unexpectedly traveling to a little town called Bethlehem. And then they stayed there and waited, and waited for God to provide again. And once you're standing where God calls you, be on the lookout for God to move, because I think our second lesson for Mary and Joseph is that where God moves may not be the place we expect him to move. Or another way to put it might be that where God moves might not be how we expect him to move or how we expect him to move us. Because Jesus and his family move around a lot, not a lot by our standards, but definitely a lot by the standards of the time. It was very uncommon to move far from your childhood home for your entire life. And Mary and Joseph not only have moved away from their childhood home to another community, but now they're gonna move again. They're going to to flee. From the Gospels, we know that sometime after Jesus' birth, the family flees to Egypt. They flee because Herod has put out a call to kill all the children. And Joseph is warned in a dream, and he, he, he gets up and takes baby Jesus and Mary, and he flees to Egypt. And they eventually return. After a while, Herod, who called for their death, uh, he himself dies. And they come back, but not to Bethlehem. To Nazareth. Back to where Mary and Joseph's story started. To their birthplace. In Luke chapter 2, we see that Joseph leaves Nazareth due to the decree by Caesar and goes to Bethlehem. And now, after a stay in Egypt, they're back in Nazareth. But even that wasn't exactly what they wanted. Matthew 2, verses 21 through 23. So he got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. 
Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went there and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So notice first that that God calls him back and his first inclination, Joseph's first inclination is to go back to Bethlehem. Okay, my baby was born in Bethlehem. We've started a life there. Then we had to flee, but now the tyrant is gone and let's go back. And that's where his initial desire is to go. But now this tyrant had a son who's also a tyrant. In fact, Herod had four sons and they've divided Herod's territory into four distinct regions. And this... um, Archelaus is probably the most evil of the four, and he is ruling over Bethlehem. So now that place is again closed to them. Judea is where Bethlehem is. Joseph is ready to go back, and in their time, Bethlehem had become home, but now, thanks to Herod, they were uprooted again, and Bethlehem is still too dangerous. So they go instead to Nazareth, and at, again, at some level, that's the, the home of them. That should be a place of comfort. But when they left it, they left it as the unwed couple that was expecting a child. Maybe there's a reason they didn't want to go back there. But they have to. But I want to talk a little bit about the line in there. This will fulfill what the prophets say, that he will be from Nazareth. What is Matthew saying? Because I think if we look at the larger picture, we'll see some things that help us paint a picture. Because it's interesting, I can't point to a verse that Matthew is citing. There is no verse that says the Messiah will be from Nazareth directly. So what's Matthew pointing to? Where is he pointing? Remember, we talked about this last week. They don't have chapter headings. They don't have verse numbers. So instead, what Matthew is doing is he's pointing and saying, this will fulfill what the prophet said, broadly speaking, that he'll be a Nazarene. I don't think what he's saying is, is, here's a verse. I think what he's saying is God has provided. And I think we see that because we don't see this in English, but if you were reading this in the original language, the word Nazareth is very similar to the Hebrew word nezer, which means branch or shoot. In other words, He's saying he will be a branch, he'll be an offshoot. And I'm gonna put him in Nazareth and that reminds us that he was a branch. He was an offshoot. And what's that from? Hosea, or Isaiah, excuse me, Isaiah 11. 11 verse one, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. See, he's pointing to the prophets and saying all the way through, and not just Isaiah and other places, we see this idea that out of Jesse, out of this stump, the stump that through the disobedience of Israel, through all the years until they were hauled away into captivity, there had been this royal line, and then they disobey so much that they're hauled off into captivity. And there's this image of a, of a tree being cut down, and just the stump remains, the remnant, the preservation of a remnant. And out of that will come a shoot, a new shoot, a new growth. And I think Matthew is pointing and saying, and see how he ends up in the branch city? Because he's the branch. He's the shoot. He's the new promise. The idea points to Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promises all throughout the Old Testament of a shoot of an offspring from Jesse. 
And next week, we're going to have Luke VM come in and speak, and he's going to get a little bit more into kind of the genealogy from Matthew of Jesus and what that has to do. And so I don't want to spend too much time there, but Matthew is highlighting God's preservation of the Messiah. The moves that seem to many, and possibly to Mary and Joseph, like pure chaos and upheaval, should be seen instead as God-ordained moves that God was moving. And he sends them to this place called Nazareth. And Nazareth isn't a place where people expected God to move. Nazareth is kind of the joke town. And I don't mean joke town like we tease people from Wisconsin and Wisconsin people tease people from Chicago. And I don't mean that kind of joke town. I mean the kind of joke town that people really didn't think anything positive about. Look at, look at John chapter 1, verses 45 and 46. These are some of the disciples meeting Jesus for the first time. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. For us this morning, I think the lesson is we may not be where we think God is most likely to move. But wherever we are, look for God to be moving and look for God to move in unlikely places and through unlikely people. I think there's a lot of people that would expect somebody coming out of Nazareth to be nothing. The Messiah can't come from Nazareth. Nazareth is a know-nothing town. They're looked down upon. Bethlehem was not his home, but God was with him. Egypt was not a God-honoring place, but God was working in Egypt. And Nazareth was the joke town, but God was not concerned with public perception. Come and see, is what Philip says to Nathan, and that is the message we get from the Gospels. Come and see was the message the shepherds said to each other on the hillside. Let's go and see what God is doing. We've seen the star and have come to worship him, was the response of the Magi, and our call is the same. Come and see your Messiah. God is still moving in our world today. The question is, are we open to seeing it? Are we open to seeing it move in places where we don't think God moves? Are we open to God moving through people that we don't think God moves through? Are we open to the Holy Spirit moving in people's lives that we would look at and say, there is no chance for God to be moving there? Or do we believe in a big God who moves in those places? Is our response to see God at work and to respond like the shepherds and the magi, or are we like Herod, who hears God may be moving and we instead perceive it as a threat? Or are we like Nathaniel, who hear God may be moving in an unlikely location and we think that's ludicrous? We as followers of Jesus must get on board. Our call is to point to our Messiah and like Philip, to invite others to come and see what God is doing. And again, if we look at the life of Christ, we see him constantly at work in places that don't fit the mold of where God is moving. Jesus moves in Samaritan villages with women, in Israel with tax collectors and sinners, with fishermen, radicals, and intellectuals. God moves where God moves, and it is seldom confined to the parameters that the religious community expects. Are we open to God moving in places where we don't expect it? After Christ, the church expands to include Gentiles and expands into the entire known world. When God moves, our job is to watch and go where he is moving and not stand in the way. 
And the spiritual leaders of the day did not expect God to work with tax collectors and sinners. The disciples did not expect God to move in pagan Samaria. The early church did not expect God to move in the Gentile world. So where is God moving today? And how can we get on board? And instead of looking at it and going, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What is our Nazareth? And instead looking and saying, if God is moving there, that is the best place for us to be. And I might not be where God wants, or I might not be where I want to be, but it's where God wants me to be. And God might be moving in places that I don't think make sense, but if that's where God is, that is the right place to be. And so our call is to celebrate with joy when God is moving. Because ultimately, as followers of Jesus, we find joy when God is moving. And I want to spend a little bit of time here as we wrap up this morning, because this is what I think is the central theme of our Christmas story. Joy. Joy in unlikely places. Joy through unlikely people. Joy in unlikely situations. And our job is not to limit it to be in the places we expect or to assume God will only move in ways we expect him to move. We go with God and we hold on and we enjoy the ride. And we invite others to come along. Our job is obedience like Joseph. And in that obedience, we find joy. Our job is to respond like, like Philip to say, come and see. Our job is to respond like the, the shepherds who after seeing the baby, they go out, the Bible says, and share it with everybody. Come and see. Like the Magi, come and see. Come and see. Find joy in seeing what God is doing and bring others along. And we see the ripple effects in the story of the birth of Jesus. And so we end this morning by reading the responses of those who encountered Jesus on that first Christmas, starting with the shepherds. Verses 16 through 20 of Luke chapter 2. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Look at that story. It starts with the lowliest of the lowly. It starts with a poor couple who's been displaced. A, a woman pregnant out of wedlock. Shepherds who are not to be trusted. That's where it starts. But look at the ripple effects of God moving through that group. It spreads. Everybody notices. The birth of Christ is celebrated by the lowliest of people. And our job is to bring that joy to those around us. We should be the lowliest. We who have acknowledged Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior know that the sin in our life makes us the lowliest. And yet, God's grace has come to us. Instead of looking around at those and trying to decide with our own mind where God should move and who is worthy, we look around and we say, how do I bring the joy of the Lord to those who need it today? We are meant to be spreaders of that encounter with Christ. When we find God in an unexpected place, when God moves in unexpected ways, we, like the shepherds, should share that joy. And Mary treasures it. A peasant girl, a young woman, who endured the shame of an unmarried pregnancy and birth, endured the hardships of travel in the late stages of pregnancy at the whim of a tyrant, treasures it. How do we treat that message? 
In a moment, the worship team is going to come up here and we're going to do, they're going to do a song as a response. And you're going to recognize the tune. It's away in a manger, but the words are a little different. And so feel free if you want to sing along as the words will be on the screen, but also feel free to just sit and listen as it gives us, I think, a different perspective on what Mary and Joseph went through. And yet they chose joy. Because I think sometimes, like a family at Christmas, we can look back on the past We can look back on the Christmas story a little bit with rose-colored glasses and think Mary and Joseph had all of the information before them. And they didn't. They ended up in Bethlehem and then Egypt and then Nazareth, all the while wondering, God, what are you doing but chose joy? And I don't think that Mary was super excited when a bunch of shepherds showed up after she had just given birth to a baby. but she pondered what they said and treasured it in her heart. And when they show up at the temple and people say things about Jesus, some of which are not necessarily things you as a parent want to hear, that a sword will pierce your heart. They chose joy and they wondered at what God might be doing. So choose joy this Christmas season. Whether you're facing a enjoyable moment with your family, looking back at some fun pictures, or whether you're in a spot that maybe you wish you weren't. Choose joy and look for God to be at work. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you that you meet us where we are at. And God, when we are in places that we don't want to be, God, I thank you that you are still there. God, when, when, when you move in ways that we maybe don't even want you to move, God, we thank you that you are there. Help us in those moments when we struggle to find joy. God, to find our joy not in our circumstances, God, but to find our joy in you, our Messiah. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for that lovely piece. And thank you, Bruce, for your sermon as well. Uh, my name is Luke Job. I'm the youth ministry director here at Watertown, and we're just so happy you're here this morning. I'm so glad you guys are here this morning. A couple announcements uh, I was instructed to give is one of them is that this week we are starting to gather to grow group, which is membership class. It's starting. It's awesome. And Bruce has told me there's multiple people sign up already. And if you're interested in signing up for a membership class and becoming a member at our church, which we would love you to become a member at our church. Text the keyword membership to our church phone number. You can sign up for the class that way. Or talk to Bruce, talk to me, talk to Alicia, talk to Cher, talk to Bethany, talk to anyone on staff, and we'll try to get you connected for you can sign up for membership. Also, coming up in January, I have an advertisement here for Winter Wipeout is coming up. I've already told my students this multiple times, and... I want students to invite their friends because this is an awesome weekend away and it's an awesome way for students to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and connect deeper in Christian fellowship and koinonia, not only with each other but with God and it should be an awesome weekend. I have little advertisements so if your student's interested, 6th through 12th, they can come talk to me. I'd love to just give you more information if you like and those are all the uh, announcements I had. This Wednesday there's Swedish meatballs, Linda told me for the Wednesday night family night deal uh, meal. So if you want to come by, this should be pretty good, I would say. So, so as we end this morning, um, thinking about Swedish meatballs now, <laughs> I want to end by reading again Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. 
When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So as we go this week, we can choose joy and we can share it with those around us, no matter what we are facing. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.